don't pay too much attention to the short-term headlines, but focus on your long-term goals as an investor. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. For advisors seeking to decode the choppy equity markets, our experts have one message. Keep calm and carry on. In today's episode, Chris Heeks and Chris McKinney, along with your host, Mark Rays, take a closer look at market volatility and its impact on client portfolios. They also give their outlook on crypto ETFs and discuss emerging market opportunities in light of the recent sell-off. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs call, our weekly insights call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO ETFs. We're joined today by Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Uh, both are familiar across the shelf uh, with a focus on equity and derivative-based ETFs. Well, let's get right into things. Uh, we're certainly continuing to see volatility in, in markets. You know, we've got different things happening. We've got job reports coming in, inflation concerns, um, some company earnings. We, we hear reasons not to stay invested in equity markets. But with all the fiscal and monetary support, aren't equities still the best option on the table? Can you put this in context using our S&P 500 ETF uh, with the ticker ZSP? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, you know, I think equities are, uh, you know, they're what investors look to, obviously, in when it comes to a source of growth. And, you know, that's that's been the way it's been. That's going to be the way it's, it's going to continue to be. You, know, you look at from an asset allocation point of view, you know, fixed income, certainly it's a little more of a challenging space. Traditionally, it's providing you income as well as capital preservation. Still provides you that capital preservation, but the income, you know, quite low levels of yield and with the inflation headwinds, you know, obviously that could be a headwind to traditional fixed income, but you know, equities, um, again, I feel like, you know, there's always, there can always be a reason to not invest in equities, but you know, I think what investors are best served is, is, is having that prudent allocation and just continuing to be invested. <clears throat> Very difficult to forecast trends in the short term. But over the long term, you know, equities tend to give you that, you know, equity risk premium and that growth rate of six, seven, eight percent, you know, annualized over the long term. And, you know, when talking about ZSP, you know, broadly diversified in 500 companies, you know, 500 of the biggest companies in the world. You know, I think it's, um, you know, it's a place I think investors have to be. And we all know how difficult it is to time the market. But, you know, I, I would I would contrast and I know we've got some news this morning about a meltdown in the crypto market with Bitcoin. Um, and I think we're going to talk about that maybe a little later on the call. Um, but, you know, I, I still I still believe the trends are on the equity market side, um, even regardless of the comments about continuing to stay invested. Um, like you mentioned, the fiscal and monetary support um, has really guided the market, 
you know, coming out of COVID, it's continuing to do that. You know, one thing that's, you know, kind of been noticing more recently is just the buildup of cash. Um, that's, that, you know, the savings buildup, both in the U.S. and Canada, is, is significant. It's at, you know, multi-decade highs. Um, you know, when you put in the context of, um, you know, vaccines rolling out, a reopening, there's a buildup of cash, there's, there's, there's spending that's going to be done when things reopen, there's spending that's being done right now. Um, you know, I think it, I continue to be pretty constructive on, um, on equities. So, you know, I think, you know, maybe, um, maybe don't pay too much attention to the short-term headlines, but focus on your long-term goals as an investor. And then maybe just, you know, one more comment on the currency. You know, if you look at ZSP, that's an unhedged exposure. So you do have exposure to the U.S. dollar there. Um, you know, if you look at the headwind of ZSP kind of over the past month or so, actually, it's probably more due to currency um, movement than, than equity movement um, as a CAD has strengthened significantly. But, you know, again, you're looking at levels now where we're seeing more investors um, choosing to take that U.S. dollar exposure as well, um, taking off some hedges and looking to go long again, and and that's that's a favorable backdrop for ZSP from from a currency point of view, from a tactical point of view. So, um, you know, I think equities are are the best are, are you know option for growth in the portfolio. You know, if you're worried about inflation, there's different things you can look at: sector tilts, factor tilts. But you know, ZSP is a core of the portfolio. Um, I think it's you know it's a, it's a very prudent place to be if you're looking for growth in the portfolio. Thanks, Kristen. Maybe I'll give you a quick follow-up on it as well, specific to ZSP and not just equity markets. You know, people see the PE, they see it hovering around now 30. You know, they think that's rich compared to historical, but of course, you know, we've got all kinds of things going on with earnings and earnings growth as, as we come out of out of the uh, the COVID scenario, what, what's your thoughts on on earnings as we as we look out over the rest of the year? Yeah, so I, I mean we're we're seeing pretty constructive earnings um, overall. You're, you're seeing technology taking a little bit of a breather. Um, you know, technology earnings have become such a big part of the S and P earnings, so they're taking a little bit of a breather. But we're seeing pretty good earnings. You know, I was just reading Target this morning, expecting a good year. And that's a good, you know, for me, that's a good broad market indicator. You know, you're, you're getting people in stores buying things. Um, you know, I, I think it's healthy. I think it's a healthy market. And we're, we're looking at, you know, tech maybe taking a little bit of a breather, but, you know, other sectors of the economy, more of that old world economy, you know, bricks and mortar might even come back this year a little bit more. So, um, you know, I think there's sectors of the market that are, are um, you know, quite healthy. So, and, you know, you know, 30 sounds high from a PE perspective, but if, you, you know, like you said, there's a lot of things that have gone on with COVID. If you look at that PE going out, you know, a couple of years, um, you know, if you could look at 2022 earnings or 2023 earnings, you know, those PE ratios are, are quite a bit more re, uh, reasonable and kind of much closer to the long-term averages. A lot less sticker shock when you can look out a couple of years. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. Thanks, Chris. Cause- I'm just using Bloomberg to look out uh, on on the estimated PE uh, at year end, and it, and it drops down below 25, and that's on the basis of earnings continuing to go up. Great. So I think a good message for people that, you know, despite the noise and the headlines you see out there, equities are still really the place to be. 
another area where we're getting continued question in from advisors is is around preferred shares, where of course we've got our market leading ZPR ETF, and that ETF just seems to continue to climb. What's driving this advance, and is there still room in this trade? Yeah, it certainly has uh, performed well uh, over the last year, preferred shares and, and ZPR uh, more specifically, I think actually outperforming uh, the Canadian equity market since since the lows in early 2020. Um, and I think there's a few different things going on here. You know, first of all, in traditional fixed income space, you know, you have very, very tight credit spreads, you know, both in, in the investment grade world and in the high yield world, um, probably, you know, fairly tight and probably more more so than what we've seen um, in several years. And so investors looking for a higher um, you know, yield from their investments are, are happy to move a little bit down the capital structure and take some preferred share exposure um, in order to, to increase the yield that they're getting, as well as very tax efficient yield, of course, coming from dividends rather than, than interest income. And so you know, particularly in taxable accounts, preferred shares looking very strong relative to those other fixed income uh, alternatives, but also um, the way ZPR is structured, including only rate reset preferred shares and then laddering out those rate resets um, over the next five years as well, lends itself very well to a rising rate environment, uh, obviously, which is what we're in right now. Um, and you know, many many investors thinking that's going to continue with those um, interest rates increasing, if not in the very, very short end, you know, five years and out, um, expected to uh, continue seeing rates going up. And so if you have a portfolio that is resetting its, its interest rate, you know, you'll, you'll be able to enjoy some of those higher yields as well as time goes on um, through ZPR specifically. And so this portfolio is really constructed um, to perform very well in a rising rate environment, which we're seeing right now. And then also, you know, on, on the other side is that we're seeing um, redemption of uh, outstanding preferred shares. And so there's con- expected to continue less supply um, is expected to continue uh, in the preferred share space as companies uh, redeem outstanding preferred shares for, for the new LRCNs, which is more of a uh, considered more of a traditional fixed income investment. And so you're getting a reduced supply of preferred shares, which is kind of bidding up, um, you know, the, the demand uh, is, is moving the price up as supply goes down. Um, and also the prospect that that's going to continue happening because as these preferred shares are redeemed, if there is further LRCN issuance, um, they'll be redeemed at par. And so, you know, most preferred shares still trading below par right now. And so there's that little upside potential as well um, if this um, transition to the LRCN notes uh, continues. And so there's a few different tailwinds here that, that are behind preferred shares. And so we think that's going to continue, you know, certainly not at the paces we've seen over the last year in terms of performance, but these tailwinds of potentially higher interest rates, reduced supply, uh, you know, continued redemption through LRCN issuance, you know, leading to those little bump ups um, as, as these things get redeemed at par, uh, we think that's going to continue for the rest of this year and potentially, you know, even further out into next year. And so we think performance of preferred shares can continue for, for some time here. And we think it makes a great alternative, again, to that traditional fixed income for yield-oriented investors that want a tax-efficient, um, you know, dividend or, or distribution, 
Um, preferred shares make make a very great uh, investment, and, and as well, they're you know not really correlated to equities, not really correlated to fixed income as well. And so, from a total portfolio construction standpoint, um, excuse me, fit into the portfolio very well, reduce that volatility, and, and, and increase again, increase the yield and increase the overall income in the portfolio. So, uh, we, we like this space to continue going forward. Great, thanks for that, Chris. Now, coming back to the to the headlines, and, and Chris, you mentioned it off the top, uh, Bitcoin has been in the news of late quite a bit uh, due to price volatility, uh, unfortunately, this time to the downside. Um, what's been interesting to me amongst all this news has been how it's uh, been positioned relative to environmental concerns around Bitcoin mining. Can you walk us through how that works? And as a tie-in, we're seeing more and more advisor interest in ESG investing. How, how are you seeing this progressing, and how are these ESG ETFs performing this year? Thanks. Sure. And so, you know, there, there certainly is a lot of um, um, things happening in the energy space around this whole Bitcoin complex. And I think, you know, really um, what, what you're talking about is, in particular, Elon Musk, the head of Tesla, um, at first, um, saying they will hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet, on the corporate balance sheet, as well as accept it as a form of payment for their vehicles, um, only to, you know, shortly after reverse course with that, um, saying they, 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 they won't accept Bitcoin because of the environmental impact that its energy consumption has. Um, and so really a decision there made based on the fact that there is um, significant energy usage that's potentially harmful um, to the environment. And so what happens with Bitcoin, there is a significant amount of uh, energy consumption um, related to mining Bitcoins. That's, that's the creation, the process of creating new Bitcoins. Um, and so there's a huge amount of computing power that goes into that. And of course, the energy consumption on the back of that computing power, um, you know, it is estimated the amount of energy that Bitcoin mining consumes is probably the equivalent of a small country. Um, so it's not insignificant amount of energy being consumed here. Now, the question is, where does that energy come from? Um, if all of your energy consumption comes from green or renewable or, or clean sources, um, it really shouldn't matter um, how much energy you consume at all. Um, but the, the thought is that a lot of this energy consumption is still tied to, let's call it traditional energy sources. And so... Um, just the whole Bitcoin complex itself is adding this to the energy consumption of the world, really. But I think what's really most important here is you have a CEO of a major company making business decisions based on environmental impact. And so this really argues for um, not just ESG, of course, this is the E of ESG, but also clean energy in general, um, you know, you can tie our, our ZCLN, our clean energy ETF into this story as well. Um, because A, I think, you know, demand for energy is not going away globally, whether that's from a, a Bitcoin mining or, or other sources. Um, you know, again, moving to a new energy infrastructure where you have renewable and cleaner sources of energy will support a, a vast amount of either Bitcoin mining or, or other initiatives as well. So I think it just underscores the importance um, of, you know, this multi-decade really transition to a new energy infrastructure of clean and renewable sources. 
but also again, you know, major CEOs of, of corporations uh, making their decisions based on environmental and social impacts. And so underscoring the importance of ESG investing. And, you know, to your last question there, how has ESG performed in 2021 so far? The, the answer is actually very well. Um, you know, in, in most cases, actually outperforming um, the broad indexes, depending on which country you're looking at and which exact time frame you're looking at. Um, but I think more importantly, um, I think the question is, in the short term, um, will you get outperformance? Maybe, maybe not. I think the important aspect is that you'll get similar performance to, to traditional equity markets. And, you know, we talked just a little bit earlier in the first question about the importance of staying invested in the equity markets. Um, but more importantly, I think, is looking at it long term. And certainly, um, while most ESG mandates are still fairly new, the longer term performance, two plus years of however long they have existed, um, is, is very, very positive. Um, and I would say, you know, strong likelihood of outperforming uh, the broad market index, again, whichever one you're looking at, whichever geography you're looking at. Um, and so I think really um, it's about investors also bringing on that mindset of, okay, I'm going to make my decisions based on environmental, social, and, and other um, impacts and how that's going to impact society as, as a whole. And generally, we're going to see that as a winning strategy. So companies that do that um, themselves, I think, um, in the long term are going to be winners. And so, of course, investors that are investing in that space um, should be win the winners as well. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 62 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at the BMO Clean Energy Index ETF, ticker ZCLN or ZClean. Learn about the global trend that's reshaping energy markets and how easily it can be integrated into your client portfolios with long-term growth objectives. One more from me. Um, again, going back uh, with, with market volatility, can you give us an update on the small cap trade that we've been recommending with our ZSML? Uh, and what is your outlook for small caps over the remainder of the year? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. You know, I think small caps are doing, you know, overall what we expect them to do. You know, if you look at the performance, they're giving you more return than the broad index. So ZSML giving you 14% versus about uh, 5% for the ZSP. Uh, but they're also giving you more volatility. So, you know, obviously, you know, we recommend the small cap um, for, you know, it's a higher risk tolerance product. Um, but again, you know, if our, you know, thesis is correct, that we're in a good environment for, you know, equities overall with the various factors we talked about earlier, um, you know, small cap will give you a kind of a higher beta or a little more leverage to that economic reopening. Um, so it's performing well, you know, it's, like I said, it's a little more volatile. So as we've seen, you know, the volatility, you know, over the past kind of four to six weeks, small cap has corrected more than, than the S&P 500. Um, but, you know, I think our overall outlook doesn't change and, and we're, we're still constructive on equities. You know, we think small cap's going to give investors, you know, a little bit of leverage to that economic, not, not leverage in the um, literal sense. It's not a leveraged portfolio, but it'll give you a little more, call it bang for your buck in terms of, you know, equity investing. So that, 
it means more risk, but it also means that, you know, potential for more uh, returns. So, you know, as we're seeing economic reopening, you know, small caps a little less tech focused than the S&P 500. So that's that's been beneficial, um, you know, from from an under the hood perspective. But I think overall, you know, um, with the you know constructiveness on equities, I think it you know it should bode well for for small caps if that you know continues to play out over the the rest of the year. So so that's you know what we're looking for at a high level with with that um, with that exposure. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to hear that trade is is holding up nicely. Um, at this point, I would like to check if there are questions on the line. I have a question on emerging markets. Um, recently, we've seen, obviously, some sell-off and looks like um, probably a little bit more coming today. I, I'm just looking for some insight on it. Um, and if you would consider that sort of a value trade now that uh, valuations have come down. Thank you. Yeah, I, I can take that one. And, uh, you know, certainly we have seen emerging markets after a very, very strong start to the year um, pull back a little bit here. Um, you know, I think we actually talked about this not that long ago on one of our calls that a lot of uh, what we're seeing in the emerging markets, you know, that little bit of an overhang coming down here. A lot of it related to what's been happening in China. Uh, of course, China is a, a, a big part of the overall emerging market index, and so tends to be a, a very significant driver of the overall index. Um, but you know what we did see was earlier on a couple months ago, some of those uh, Chinese stocks were caught up in the Archegos um, sort of meltdown, and so had significant sell-offs. We had some regulation um, and oversight from the Chinese government to some of the larger tech companies, you know, Ant Financial, um, as well as Alibaba itself, you know, having a, a big antitrust fine. And so just a little bit more regulatory scrutiny on some of the larger companies there causing, um, you know, again, a little bit of a sell-off. And so I think that some of those things have overall just impacted the emerging markets index as a whole and, and led to... Not a not a significant sell off, but a little bit, you know, coming down after again what was a very strong start to the year. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a value play specifically, but when you do look at those traditional valuation metrics relative to the developed markets, you know, um, price to earnings, price to cash flow, price to book, these sort of things, um, certainly you do see. Um, much better value um, than you do in, in the most in the more traditional. Of, um, developed markets, particularly the U.S., um, as, as well as Europe and Japan. And so you can make the case that certainly when you're entering this space right now, you're getting a much better valuation than you are in some of these other areas, which generally leads to longer-term um, outperformance. And, you know, we do think, um, you know, emerging markets do have a significant tailwinds behind them. And so particularly, again, going back to China, being that first country to sort of, you know, move past the COVID restrictions, you know, you're going to hear a lot about Hollywood blockbuster openings um, coming back this summer. Uh, but a big driver of the, the global box office is going to be coming from China. Um, and so, you know, just the, the demand and the retail activity that's happening there is going to be significant this year. And so we do think it's a good place to, to invest. Of course, it's a little bit more volatile than, than broad markets as well. So you need to size your position a little bit. Um, there, but in terms of valuation, certainly it does look a little bit more attractive. I wouldn't say it's a pure value play, but it's certainly a bit more attractive than some of the 
the um, the more developed markets. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We certainly appreciate you listening in. And of course, thanks to both Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks. Some great insights covering a lot of topics today. Uh, a lot of good speaking points that we can bring back to our own conversations. So with that, just want to wish everyone a great day. And thank you once again for joining. Thank you to Chris Heeks, Chris McKinney, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. In response to heightened volatility, our experts offered some prudent recommendations today, including the BMO S&P 500 Index ETF, ticker ZSP, which has strong long-term growth potential. Or consider the BMO S&P U.S. Small Cap Index ETF, ticker ZSML. While a high beta solution, it offers excellent exposure to leverage the U.S. reopening trade. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.